in this episode of Classroom and Culture. I get the day-to-day. I'm, I'm married to a head of school. Like there are punches coming from everywhere, um, every day. Uh, and, and I understand that. Uh, I get to go out and I get to see the larger body of work that God's doing. And man, is it encouraging. Um, people are doing creative, impactful, beautiful work um, across this country and world. And so if we can remember um, that it's a new day tomorrow uh, and that we are equipped uh, to be able to do this and that when we are when we are in the word then we, when we have our theology right we are going to be able to walk through that fire um, with fewer bruises <laughs> than than if we're not Hi, you're listening to the Classroom and Culture Podcast from Epic Media Partners, where we go deep on all things faith, culture, creativity, tech, and innovation as they relate to education and learning. Please see the show notes for additional info and details discussed in today's podcast. Hey, it's Monroe. So how are we doing out there? You know, we were thinking that you guys could use a short break from the coronavirus. And while we don't have any car chases or explosions, we think you'll find this episode interesting. Today, Mike and I chat with Dr. Katie Weens. Katie is co-founder and executive director of CISA, which stands for the Council on Educational Standards and Accountability. CISA is an organization that works in conjunction with schools to enable growth, provide resources for improvement, and to hold accountable all schools who strive for programmatic distinction and excellence, all for the glory of God. Through her earlier work at Cardis, Katie wrote the renowned Cardis Study Christian Education Survey that was part of the impetus for the creation of CISA. And then playing a major role in CISA's founding, Katie served as its original director of academic advancement and co-wrote the original CISA standards and helped develop the initial institutional review process. She's served on the faculties of Wheaton College, Boston University, Karen University, and Kennesaw State University. Katie also served as fellow and scholar with the Institute for Advanced Studies in Culture at the University of Virginia, working with Ashley Berner and James Davison Hunter on a five-year study investigating moral formation in different school sectors. Lastly, Katie has extensive experience in K-12 Christian schooling, having served as an administrator and faculty member at Boston Trinity Academy, the Clapham School, and Delaware County Christian School. She has her bachelor's and master's degrees from the University of St. Thomas and her doctorate from Boston University. We may be holding on for dear life in this conversation. So finally, let's dive into our great escape and talk to Katie Weens. Hey guys, how are we doing? Fantastic. Great. Thanks, Monroe. So Katie, we are so excited to have you on. And Mike has thrown all this great stuff from podcasts that you've done to just all this great stuff my way. So I I feel like I know you except for this one area that I'm going (laughs) to ask. But yeah, this is how we sort of break the ice. Say you're either traveling or maybe you're doing research or whatever. What is either an artist or a band or a playlist? What is your go-to when you are in the saddle and you need to hear some music? So it's a great question because I love music. Music is a huge part of my life. Um, But I think there's kind of two different answers to that question. Um, When I'm researching, when I'm writing, that kind of deal. Um, I always, my everybody teases me, but I always listen to music without lyrics. Sure. Um, or, or something that is in a different language altogether. Uh, so I do listen to a ton of classical guitar. I love, love, love classical guitar. I love Baroque. Um, and there's wow. there's this um, station called French Cafe Radio on Pandora that I adore. Uh, and so I cook to that all the time. Um, it just, I, I think it just kind of resonates with the rhythm of my brain is what it comes down to. And I, I, I love those, those kind of genres, but on planes, it's a little bit different. I'm very much a two decade fan of the Dave Matthews band. And so I ah. am still the Matthews band going strong. That's good. <laughs> yes. Okay. Maybe a typical answers. <laughs> yeah. Mike. Now, I don't know if that was on your list. Yeah. We were, we were, no, the I didn't have that. I, we had some Christian groups and, uh, huh? Monroe, I, I said, 
Uh, I don't even. I think I had Maroon Five in there. You know, I'm trying to like. Yeah, yeah. Love Maroon Five, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. I do. I I mean, my playlist is admittedly very diverse, um, but uh, just depends on what I'm doing as to to what my mind needs. That's awesome. Well, (laughs) Katie, let's let's get to uh, CISA and the great work you do for Christian schools. Can you tell us a little bit about CISA and how it started and what you're doing now with them? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. CISA is definitely near and dear to my heart. Um, it started ten years ago um, after a couple of assemblies of people got together and and figured out that there was kind of a gap in the marketplace uh, for schools that were uh, potentially a little bit more mature uh, and maybe a little bit better resourced um, than some of the other schools and. They were feeling that there wasn't necessarily um, a space for them to continue to push themselves uh, and continue to get better and better. Um, so after lots of conversation, CISA was started uh, to be just that. Um, it's, it stands for the Council on Educational Standards and Accountability. And those three things um, really are what we're about. We're, first, we're a council, meaning that we're not an association. People don't answer to me uh, or to Jim Marsh or to any employee. Uh, people answered the council. Uh, and so it is a voluntary way to get into a very uh, distributed kind of leadership um, and, a, and a mutual responsibility for each other. Um, and that was a really important principle for us going forward is because we knew that the relationships were really uh, central to transformation mm-hmm. rather than just compliance to standards. We weren't, we weren't really interested in that. We we're really interested in transformation of people so they can transform their institutions. So we're pretty heavy on that. That kind of leads into there's a lot of accrediting bodies and and Mm -hmm. probably about the same time the school I was at was looking at CISA. uh, There was a lot of consternation about Christian schools and accreditation uh, based on some things that were happening at the university level, uh, Gordon College. Uh, What part does CISA have in alleviating any fears, if any, on that as far as being a body that stands behind a school and can certify it. Yeah, so, um, you know, CISA has a great partnership with Cognia, uh, which is used to be Advanced Ed, um, and they have given us um, the authority to confer their accreditation on our schools through our process. So it's a, it's a nice um, perk that people can have. You know, we're, we didn't start initially as an organization to accredit, and that's still primarily probably not what we would say we do, but this is this is something that is kind of comes along with what CISA does. Um, so when you go through the CISA process, it is uh, possible for you to be um, covered by the advanced ed slash Cognia until they get there, until everybody starts recognizing their name as Cognia to get that certification too. And that's a, that's a very widely recognized in every state in most countries um, that, that you can have that. Um, and then that will allow for a lot of the federal grants and all of the things that come along with that. So um, it's a great partnership um, to be able to have that, that we can be flexible with our own process, which is, you know, very unique amongst all the other um, agencies in the field. Uh, and so it allows us to, to, to do what we do missionally. You know, if, if it became a partnership that we would have to do things differently, uh, then we probably uh, would th- think about another option. Um, but because uh, we, we are very committed to uh, continuing with our process uh, the way it is uh, and getting it better every, every time. Can I back up one second? Let's put a marker right there. I just want to know this. So it's clear now God led you guys down this road, informing CISA and the whole thing. But come on, that is a crazy vision. I would just love to know what it felt like or if you remember when the thought popped into your head or what that was like. And did you think, okay, I'm crazy? Or, you know, how did you go from there to God is clearly calling us down this road? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, a gentleman by the name of John Seal, uh, another one by the name of Chuck Evans, uh, my husband, Tim Weems, um, and uh, they were kind of the the ones that were leading these conversations with a hundred other people across the country. And, you know, the, the start, the initial conversation was never to start another organization, like really who needs another association. Right. Um, but it was clear that there, that that was the path that God was leading us down. Um, and so at that point, when they, um, you know, decided that we need to, to do our own thing here uh, and form it, yeah, it was a little bit scary. It's like, you know, it's, uh, 
there's competition for dollars, there's competition for all kinds of things. Um, And entering into a marketplace that was kind of shrinking already um, didn't make a lot of logical sense. But, you know, my husband and I were um, doing the impossible starting an inner city Christian school in Boston already. So you'd kind of (laughs) been there before. God had kind of blessed that. We'd kind of been there before. And we were at the tail end of that uh, journey um, when, when we formed CISA. And decided to um, to slow down our life from starting a, a school and things like that. So we had seen God's provision in uh, the way that He honors vision um, and that He honors that process. And so while it was a little bit crazy, it was you know it's um, been unbelievable to to watch the schools that um, God's brought to this mission um, because this, this mission doesn't exist without the people. Um, and so you know in assembling those initial fifteen, we called them charter members that really you know, said, we're going to be behind this vision and we're going to make it happen. I mean, it's outstanding schools that trusted this vision. Wow. Um, and so because of that, we've really been able to to build um, bigger than we thought we'd ever be. It's amazing how God will prepare you with smaller endeavors. And, <laughs> and then the great thing that bolsters my faith, I've got kind of a similar story in that way, is that he allows us to have a glimpse then when we finally land in that place that he's been preparing us for, and you just go, wow, how did we get here? But I'm always interested because that's the kind of thing that the thought pops into your head and then you're frozen in fear. You know, right. For, no, that's totally yeah. right. And you're like, what do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> how do we figure this out? And that's, that's totally it. But it's been amazing to watch. What would you say, you, you mentioned excellence uh, and well-resourced schools. What would you say would be some of the other distinguishing qualities of the schools. I mean, the the list is and and uh, is really great a great list. Uh, Monroe spent some time in Nashville, and you've got Brentwood Academy on there, which is one of the one of the great places. And I've gotten to serve on accreditation teams with Kurt Masters, and um, right. So, w- what are some of the defining uh, attributes of the schools? Yeah, you know, and I think um, that it's true that there are schools that are maybe a little bit further along on institutional maturity, right? Um, So just kind of the problems that they're dealing with are maybe a little bit further down the road um, than a lot of other schools have to do. But I think probably the biggest characteristic that makes a CISA school a CISA school um, is their head and their board and the disposition with which they come uh, to this organization. This is not about getting a stamp of accreditation. Like if that's what you're coming for, it's going to be super disappointing and incredibly painful for you um, to go through this process. Uh, And so I think coming with humility and really being okay uh, to have your flaws exposed, um, I think is is a huge, huge piece of this. The head and the board that are willing to learn and willing to contribute um, are major um, markers of whether it's going to be a good school for you or not, or a good organization for your school or not. So I think a lot of it has to do with the kind of the ethos of of the school, um, you know. And of course, some of the the standards are there, right? I mean, we are we're pretty tough on our standards, um, uh, and we we expect a lot of schools. But uh, schools can schools can work towards that uh, as long as the disposition is right. Well, that's a great point too about stretching the school. I've been in situations where we've done accreditation where the head wanted to take the school in a direction and needed the support of an accreditation to um, get the board on board and the stakeholders on board. And you have some great points in the standards. For instance, before we got on here, we talked about the professional development standard and maybe some governance standards. Um, and just for the school leaders listening to this podcast, can you flesh out some things that you would say, these are stretching them beyond what most accreditation bodies would look at? Yeah, so CISA is a, a different organization because we're laser focused on leadership. Um, and so our standards really reflect what excellent schools do well as far as leadership. Um, so you're right. We do focus a lot on governance um, and a lot deeper on governance um, than I think a lot of other organizations do because uh, because that's just what we are created to do. You know, we, we're not in the X's and O's of teaching and learning. Um, instead, we're in the X's and O's of what does it mean to lead an academic program. Um, and so we have the time um, and the and the and the belief that um, the school transformation is going to happen from leaders. Um, uh, and and if we don't have the good leaders, then the best teachers are going to wither anyway. Um, and so you know something like with governance, um, 
a lot of boards are not doing self-evaluations. A lot of boards are not doing onboarding. Um, and that makes boards very uncomfortable uh, when CISA comes and says, you have to be doing this. Um, this, is, this is the only way that your school is going to get to where you want it to be. So those types of things I think are really important. You did mention, you know, professional development. We think you got to put some money up uh, in, into uh, growing your teachers or they're, or they're going to be undernourished, right? Uh, and so we do have a pretty high bar for what we say is the right amount of money um, per your budget to be contributing to professional development. Um, you know, not all of our standards are um, uh, prescriptive, uh, but we do have a lot of standards that, that do, you know, set the bar incredibly high with the expectations of how you're using assessment, um, how, what types of assessment you're using. So you're comparing yourselves to the right types of schools, um, how you're getting diverse voices um, to be a part of your process. So those types of things I think are unique because they are so focused on uh, the board, the head, and the executive leadership team. Excellent. Well, you mentioned leadership, and that's a great segue to talk about the, the true passion of um, CISA and providing for the next generation of leaders for schools. Mm -hmm. And we shared an article from Harvard Business Review that was out today about the talent search and, and uh, also about, this was mostly from the tech community about a lot of people are poaching other people's talents, but you would like to see it. I think if I know your heart from and the literature from CISA, homegrown talent in schools. Can you talk a little bit about how you're trying to develop that within the schools? Yeah, yeah. So this is a, a huge priority for us. Um, we, we really are uh, investing a lot in growing leadership capacity at every level of our schools. Um, it's, it's come to the list of our strategic, to the top of our list of our strategic plans. So you know, we're, we're thinking about who's going to be the next heads of our schools. That's an important piece of what we're doing. We're also thinking about our advancement teams. Um, we're thinking about mm -hmm. our teaching faculty and so on. So it's definitely bigger than CISA schools and bigger than the next head of school. Um, but, but those are some of the things that we're thinking about. Um, just recently, we had Dr. Sidney Finkelstein. He's a professor at Tuck University's um, uh, business school at, at Dartmouth. He wrote a really great book called Super Bosses. If you if you haven't read it um, and you're in leadership, I highly recommend it. He came out to California for our heads retreat this January, and what he was challenging us to do is to think about the rhythm of our calendars, um, the interactions, kind of small and big, that we have with our team, and how we can nourish those in our organization with opportunities to grow personally uh, and, our, and really improve our organizations through these smaller interactions. Um, he helped us to really understand the set of principles that he learned uh, from what he calls super bosses. So those have had a, an outsized impact on their industries by creating top leaders who have worked um, from under them. Um, and, you know, those principles can be applied locally in our own practices. They're not all that scary when you, you know, you're talking about Ralph Lauren uh, Bill Walsh and all of these big giants that have, have created so many outstanding leaders. There are things that we can all do in our daily practices and we don't have to do them all um, right now. So I, you know, I say that because first this research that he's done has been incredibly interesting. And so the thinking that it stirred with our heads of school out there was really phenomenal to watch. There were waves crashing like literally outside of our meeting room and people could have stayed in that in that room all day long uh, to discuss it rather than you know, ret you know, retreating like it's supposed to be for half of a day. So that was a really good thing. Um, it also really reflects um, what we're trying to do at CISA. You know, we're really trying to pour into our current leaders um, through events, through publications, but um, most importantly, really developing relationships between like-minded leaders. Currently, in many Christian schools, there's a real tension between the values of academic rigor and discipleship. And in many circumstances, Christian parents have been forced to choose between high academic standards in public or non-sectarian independent schools and their local Christian schools desire to nurture the faith of the child, but not the intellect. Too often then, a commitment to discipleship and a commitment to academic excellence have stood in opposition to one another. 
CESA, the Council on Educational Standards and Accountability, insists that academic rigor and programmatic excellence in all areas are inherent to discipleship, not contradictory. CESA schools demand quality, commitment, rigor, and excellence in every facet of the school. CESA, therefore, works in conjunction with schools to enable growth, provide resources for improvement, and to hold accountable all schools who strive for programmatic distinction and excellence, all for the glory of God. For more information, go to cesaschools.org or contact Katie Weens at kweens, that's K-W-I-E-N-S, at cesaschools.org. The value of that investment um, in people has seen big returns in a lot of ways. We want to give leaders the tools that they need, including their peers in the council, um, so they can be excellent leaders in their own right. Um, and that includes challenging them to invest in the growth of their teams. So I guess really CESA is a mechanism that we use to empower our national and international network of people to do their work locally in their own schools. But the structure of the network and how we work as a council to review schools, um, you know, the stronger our leaders are, the more impact they can have across all CESA schools. So in reality, the way that you develop leaders has a lot to do with who you are a leader, as a leader. So again, I'm not sure that there is a set of best practices um, out there about developing talent, um, but that's why I like Finkelstein's method to get you to understand yourself. So all these interactions aren't work and we're, aren't more, you know, kind of things on your calendar to do. Our schools are doing a lot of interesting things that um, make sense for their leaders and that are based upon strategies used in other sectors. Julie Ambler, the head of school at the Woodlands Christian outside of Houston, has a group of nine people she meets with twice a month to develop their leadership capacity. They study the way their school works from soup to nuts. Um, they read leadership books together. Um, they study the way that their school works, really. Um, and they're developing a culture that values kind of this shared responsibility for leadership in their organization. Um, and it'll allow for people to fill positions as they arrive, both at the Woodlands and um, at other schools as well. Um, Wheaton Academy uh, invests in executive coaching for all of their, um, for not all of them, but for a set of their leaders. So they establish this cohort of continued leadership as well. There's others that take a more individualized approach. Um, I know several heads of Christian schools um, that do a book study one-on-one -on -one with several people. Uh, as well as meeting more formally with other people, just really based on what those people need from them. Uh, and so I think that's been really fun to watch. Um, that leadership development has to be bigger than us, though. Um, so it does require us to work with other organizations uh, that share our values. And so that's one of the things that we're doing uh, more and more as well. So working with partners like Baylor Center for Christian Education, um, Dr. Chang at University of Arkansas, Kennesaw State, among some others, uh, that we can do some research that can have immediate and lasting impact um, in our schools and then also hopefully on the state level. Um, we're working with search firms like Vanderblomen uh, to find ways to reduce the friction during um, transition, uh, head transition and leadership transition. Um, you know, the, the tenure of an average Christian school head is 3.1 years. That's wow. disturbingly short. And it for sure creates um, a lot of instability in our schools um, and doesn't do them any favors in an already kind of chaotic environment. So we, we have CESA schools that are linking arms and participating in these robust council-wide data gatherings um, to ensure that our schools have the information that they need um, and comparability that they need to evaluate, and to set goals and ultimately to have these these schools that are not only sustainable, but really exemplary. So I hope to see more and more ways that we can partner with other organizations doing good work so we can really strengthen all aspects of this. Crazy question. So the churn that's happening with school heads, are they going from school to school? I mean, it could yes, be Yes, I mean, things. yes and no. I mean, there, there are some that are leaving the profession altogether. There are some that uh, in the Christian school world that are going into non-sectarian schools. Um, but there are, there is a lot of, um, Term like just school hopping, um, wow. and there's um, you've seen more and more boards um, and leaders making decisions to leave mid-year, um, which is really challenging uh, for yeah. schools to be able to do that. And so, those are some of the things that we're really trying to figure out what's going on uh, with our own research and thinking, and provide some resources. 
for schools so they, they don't um, create so many fractures. Um, as I mean, leadership transitions are going to be inevitable. Like there, there has to be some of those and, and that's really healthy a lot of times beyond that kind of 15 year mark, mm-hmm. you start to get a little bit stale. Yeah. Um, but I think oftentimes it's happening uh, when boards get scared, when the heads um, get frustrated um, and, and it's, it's not doing our schools any benefit for sure. Yeah, so one of the things uh, healthy schools, thriving schools do is have a, a strong succession plan. And maybe yeah. you mentioned um, Sidney Finkelstein and others in the field are starting to talk about sponsorships and mentorships in mm-hmm. leadership where they groom folks. Um, that's a little bit controversial, but... Um, because uh, some people in an organization, let's say a school, if they know somebody else is being groomed to be head, um, they think that's favoritism, but really it can be thought of as a a strong practice. Um, Maybe it's a group of people that are being groomed. Can you talk a little bit about what strong schools are doing for succession planning or this leadership training? Yeah, I think all schools are doing it differently. Um, So, you know, while it's not necessarily directly that I'm you're preparing leaders to take your position um, as a head of school, a lot of schools are really taking the, the perspective that we need to be creating more people who are willing to take this chair, whether it's at this school or somebody else's. So, you know, I spoke about Julie Ambler um, at the Woodlands. I know Second Baptist is doing some great things. Houston um, Wheaton Academy outside of Chicago is doing some direct mentoring. Actually, CISA is doing a program at the University of Oxford uh, next January where heads and rising leaders, you know, whether it's for their school again or for, for schools larger than us, are going to gather at Said Business School there at University of Oxford uh, for a week of learning designed just for CISA and taught by Oxford professors who are experts in business and innovation and leadership, kind of the future of education stuff. We found it to be a really good opportunity uh, to get aspiring heads in the room with seasoned heads uh, and industry leaders to be working on the different kinds of expertise that are really necessary to run schools today. Uh, It seems like great principals are tapped to be heads of school, but those jobs are apples and oranges. Great principals don't necessarily make great heads of school and neither do great heads of school make great principles. So um, we need to take responsibility for ensuring the next generation understands kind of the breadth of what Christian school heads are prepared to do, Um, you know, from finance to change management to academic, you know, leadership to conflict resolution, everything in between. Easy task, right? Well, that's a great point about the principles to head a school. And uh, I see that um, I had that conversation a couple days ago. With some folks, but um, what would you say if you're an academic leader, you're a principal or academic dean, associate head, and you're trying to make that step, mm-hmm. what are the areas that you need to take or gain guidance in? And what, what, would, yeah. what would somebody do that really wanted to take that step? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think that uh, there are very few academic programs that can teach you this. Um, most academic programs, doctoral programs, are just not focused on independent school leadership. There are a handful of them. So you could take that route um, if you find one that's specifically based on independent school leadership. Um, However, I think that um, somebody that's really looking to rise up in that um, would come to events like, you know, at the CC Symposium where we're talking about board governance. Um, Boards are a whole different thing um, that most principals um, are not accustomed to. And so they are definitely, uh, don't necessarily know the, the principles of good practice for board leadership and and that relationship between the head and the board. Understanding budgeting, Um, you know, the the budgeting process is um, for, I mean, while principals do it for their own division, uh, it gets more complicated when it's competing divisions uh, and, um, you know, changes based on enrollment and forecasting and setting tuition and all of those things. Advancement is a huge one. So spending some time with people in advancement departments to understand how that works well, um, you know, if, if you're if you're ahead of school and probably not spending half your time in development, I'd be concerned about the sustainability of your school. It's a, it's a massive part of the job that probably wasn't that way 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, and so I would I would definitely um, you know your business finance for sure, uh, your advancement, uh, and then and then just you know getting down to some more of the uh, issues of strategic planning uh, and, and strategic thinking uh, because that's something that the head is needs to really lead the board in. 
Due to recent events, we understand you might be a school that's scrambling to complete the year without students being able to even set foot in a classroom. With no way to efficiently distribute the year's remaining lesson plans, resources, and assignments, it could be difficult to get your students across the finish line. What you need is a complete remote learning solution, and we are here to help. Epic is not only a way for you to deliver your curriculum online, but it's a complete learning platform. Through our learning management system and student app, your school can pick up right where you left off. You can plan out your class by unit and lesson like you normally would, and within each day's lesson, you can customize that day's activities by uploading any class notes and resources, including video, PDF, or website link. Then, create a task for students to complete the assignment or homework for that day. Once students complete their assignment, you can view all their submissions for that task in one place, where you can also provide direct feedback. And whatever you do on the LMS, that immediately shows up on the student app. We would love to be your remote learning solution. You can contact us by emailing our manager of school engagement, Tyler Young, at tyyoung at epic2.com. That's T-Y-Y-O-U-N-G at epic2.com. Or call 833-GO-EPIC-2. That's 833-GO-EPIC-2. Well, let's jump into that. What should heads be thinking and boards be thinking about now with the trends that you're seeing in the research that you do that they should have plans in place or be thinking about or be more moving toward for the next five, 10 or beyond? A a great board probably thinks about at school what it's going to be like 50 years from now. That's right. That's right. Seven generations, right? Um, I think there are a few things that... um, are of central importance for boards to be thinking about. So in the 1980s, Christian schools were booming, right? You could enroll anybody walking down the street. Um, and so it didn't have to be particularly good uh, to be thriving. Um, and a lot of Christian schools were kind of all things to all people and a little bit confused and maybe a little bit um, uh, just, just not coherent in terms of, of what they were doing. That ship has sailed. Uh, you got to know who you are and who you are not uh, as a school, and you need to double down on that. So I think this is a great time for um, heads and boards to be thinking about who we are, and instead of um, thinking about layers that we're adding, thinking about strengthening and, and peeling back some of the, the fluff that's there. So what is your educational philosophy? How does that relate to your theology? And what does that look like in terms of our plan for the the education of our students, including what spaces do they need to thrive in this way? Um, Who do we need to have on board and how much do we need to pay them? And what kind of benefits are we looking at for a new generation of people who don't value the salary as much as they value some of the other things? Um, So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, who you are and really doubling down on that um, has to be of primary importance uh, to a lot of schools moving forward. Um, I do think we need to be considering a lot about um, um, who our next generation of families are as well uh, and what's important to them. Uh, uh, I think, you know, I've got a a lot of hope in in Generation Z. I think there's a lot of grumbling about millennials and and Generation Z, but I've really never seen a generation that has more potential um, to, to benefit from a Christian liberal arts education, right? I mean, they are deeply passionate about connection and change they're more open to religion than several generations that came before them. Yes. So I think we need to be understanding that, but we need to be able to move beyond what I think a lot of Christian schools have done in the past uh, and being very simplistic and super didactic in the way that they approach um, Christian faith development um, and, and understand who their learners and who their consumers are, because we, we've got that potential, but we have to be willing to make that shift. So instead of, you know, a, a liberal arts education is going to provide for everything that um, that uh, we're going to need in coming generations, right? Whether it's now or in the future, we need this interdisciplinary thinking. But um, that's, it, it, it cannot be um, just that. We also have to provide for the application to make it meaningful for these generations to thrive. So I think it's important for boards to be thinking what's important, um, but then I think we need to be considering how we're going to, to deliver that. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing. 
I do think that that um, boards need to be thinking about what can happen if we're going to be losing our non uh, our tax exempt status. Mm. I, think, uh, I think that that is a very real threat. You think it's I think a real we rely threat? on that, mm. uh, and I think that we need to m- ensure that uh, we are fiscally sound enough to be able to absorb that. Yeah. Uh, so I think that there, we need to get out of this. For the you know 15 years, schools were building, 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 and taking on so much debt. Uh, that's one of our CISA standards. It's actually just your debt to income ratio because there's so many schools are so out of whack on this um, that we need to we need to be ensuring that we're financially sound so that we can provide this education in the event that some of the nice things that we have uh, right now uh, that are that are helping us to meet budget go away tomorrow. Mm. I uh, love what you were talking about uh, as far as really honing down to what the school does well. We had a conversation at our school uh, from Jack Welch, the the old CEO of um, GE, who said, if we can't be first or second in the industry in this area, then we have to cut it. Just don't do it. And uh, we started looking at that as enrollment, uh, we were looking at enrollment and what were we really great at. And that, that was a real defining moment for us as we, we shifted and pivoted into some things. That's great. That's great. But do you think that the tax exempt status is a real possibility of losing that? Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some Supreme Court cases that are being heard here in the next couple of months uh, that'll be decided in June that I think could have very fast um, implications um, as far as our tax exempt status. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to be immediate, uh, but I do think that we we need to be considering this and getting our budgets in shape in case it does happen in the next two to five years. I think that there is a real possibility that it could be um, in that amount of time. Could it be that? Say you are, uh, everything's in shape fiscally and everything, and that does happen. Might there be a benefit in that schools can be more bold uh, at that point yeah. about what they're teaching and how they're teaching it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it does set you apart to say, you know, thanks, but no thanks. We're not going to take the the money if there are these strings attached. Uh, yeah. You know, we're not going to take the benefit if there are these these strings attached. I think it does that, but I think it's hard to do it if you don't have money uh, or if you if you know. I think they. A lot of great intentions can be there. Uh, and I think if you're creative enough and you've got a great enough CEO and <laughs> running the ship, you, you can make it happen. Um, but I think um, there there's definitely a benefit that everybody will know what you believe. I think the challenge will be, can we can we keep the light on sure. um, if that happens? Well, well Mike, I was just going to say in regard to the article that you sent over, which I thought was great. You, Katie, you got that, right? Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I don't know, Mike, if you were ready to segue more into that, but Mike loves to use this term of how you train great teacher leaders and then you get them to stick and stay, especially in the environment mm-hmm. that we're in. Um, yeah, I would just love to hear you talk about that. I know we've touched on it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We're, you know, we're, we're in a little bit of a, um, double bind because we, we know that the teacher pipeline is drying up. Uh, we know that the teaching profession, um, is increasingly challenging even for those that are, um, that are choosing it. Um, but, but we have to break out of that scarcity mindset so we can live in this, you know, abundance mindset that, that is so biblical, right? We're, we're not told to fear about the next day. We're, we're, we're told to be content, uh, and know that the Lord is going to provide those things. So I think I appreciate that what that article had to say, and that's, that's really the tack that we are taking at CISA is that this is about more than our local school. This is more than about CISA schools. This is about Christian education uh, and 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 culture uh, and and doing things if onto Christ, right? So I think that if we can move beyond that scarcity mindset to abundance, I think we can see the fruits of that. Uh, that's a hard thing to do when you need an AP physics teacher. Right? <laughs> like when it comes down to it, it's hard to find those people. Um, but it, I, I think that when we're working in cooperation with one another, um, you know, when somebody moves from Kennesaw, Georgia to Los Angeles, we can pick up the phone and say, you know what, Tom can join. We've got a great person for you that's coming over there. Um, and when we see somebody that doesn't, there, there's no place else for them to grow. We gotta let them go, uh, because they're, they, they can lead and they can do big things. So I think if our, if our disposition can move beyond this kind of, uh, parochialism uh, that we can get into, and we can trust that um, our efforts and our heart um, and and just the the number of people are out there 
um, can, we can be provided with. And those people that um, come to us, we can work with them because we, we've got the talent and we've got the, the um, desire to do so. That's a real, that's a real benefit. I, I appreciated that that article talked about that eventually this becomes a benefit to us, right? If, if we're letting people go, other people are too. And, uh, and, and so if we're, if we're all taking that approach and working hard to raise up leaders then we're all going to benefit from that. Um, we, we have to trust each other in that process. Well, I also think there's some out of the box approaches like, like we're doing today with technology where the uh, delivery of instruction can be shared. You can have a great right. physics teacher potentially teaching at multiple yeah. Christian schools. The, the, the global online um, group, I forget the exact yeah. name uh, of that. We, I, we investigated that and I was working on trying to promote one of those with Christian school colleagues uh, in the South uh, to do that very thing or just classes that we weren't able to offer because only three or four right. students wanted to take it. But if you mm-hmm. combined in a consortium format right. with five other schools of like-minded schools, you could continue the biblical worldview, but have this right. excellent teaching so I think yeah. there are some great Christian schools. Uh, you're, you're hosting a conference at one coming up in the spring at Prestonwood. They have their own global academy there. Um, I mean, not a global academy, an online academy there. You want to talk a little yeah. bit about that conference that you're co-hosting sure. on diversity? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're really excited to be a part of this conversation and to be moving the ball forward with respect to these healthy, diverse communities. Um, it's it's really hard work, uh, to, you know, making sure that our schools are healthy places with respect to this is is hard work. And that's true whether you're a Christian school, non-sectarian school, public school, church. This can be really emotional and sometimes exhausting work. Um, as, you know, we all come to the conversation with lots of different perspectives and sometimes super unhealthy and unhelpful um, experiences and beliefs um, that have to be be worked on. You know, our last symposium in Washington, D.C. took place during the 400th anniversary of the beginning of slavery in this country. And I asked people in the room to acknowledge that, yes, indeed, many of our schools started from a place of discrimination and segregation. It did. It's a reality Um, that comes with some baggage uh, that we have to be honest about. It has to be unpacked both personally uh, as well as institutionally. Again, that's really hard work that has to take place within the context of a, of a trusting community. But I see schools really recognizing the importance of Imago Day uh, in ways that are profound and translating that into a gospel-centric value that our schools are placing on reflecting God's diversity um, has been really encouraging. So I just don't think this work can be pushed off for another second. Um, And so there's a body of research that suggests that even when students and families representing minority races or ethnicities join private schools, and this is including but not limited to Christian schools, um, there are barriers to those families becoming fully integrated uh, into the fabric of the school. Um, I don't believe that the vast majority of these barriers are explicitly designed, but they exist uh, nonetheless. So school leaders have to do the work of ensuring that diverse voices are heard. And so our faculty and staff and administration need to reflect the diversity of our families um, and that we need to be collectively and individually willing to hear one another and, and do the work necessary to make for healthy schools. So, you know, as I visit CESA schools, um, I often have the privilege of talking to students. Uh, it's my favorite thing um, to do. I love elevating the student voice whenever I can. And, um, there's one example that I think will help us um, understand this. So I was at a um, really great Christian school in the Midwest. This young man uh, was graduating from this strong school. He'd been the benefactor of the school's commitment um, to, you know, dedicating resources to financial aid. Um, he was taking all the highest level classes. He was headed to Yale in the fall, played on the football teams, on student government, was contributing in big ways to the school. But he was also working two jobs uh, to pay for all of the extras uh, beyond tuition, wow. like sports fees and prom and all of those types of things that we don't necessarily wow. think about. His parents paid for the tuition for which they were responsible, but they were stretched uh, and they were stretched to the limit. And so he wasn't going to stretch them anymore. 
uh, he asked me and he wasn't entitled. He wasn't snarky about it. None of those things. He wasn't bitter about it. Uh, but he just asked me to make sure his school leaders knew that it was hard uh, for a lot of his peers um, to be fully involved because uh, the sheer expense of anything beyond coursework. So to me, a teacher at heart, um, this was a real vivid example about how we need to think about our decisions in different ways. 20 years ago, most of the students at this school paid full tuition. They came from the search, same church denomination. They had very similar demographics, um, you know, beyond all of those things. But like so many schools today, that school looks different because it intentionally includes more diverse constituents. So we've got to take an honest look at what we've been doing to make sure that it's a healthy place for all of our families. Mm -hmm. So at this event um, in, in Texas in April, part of what we're doing is trying to give educators the resources that they need uh, to have conversations um, and the spaces that they need to be with students and families. Um, and so Jenny Brady, along with David Robinson and Joel Hazard, just happened to be all leaders of CISA schools, <laughs> have come together uh, to press into this really hard work. Uh, and one of the ways that they do it is this annual diversity symposium. Joshua Expeditions and ACSI are also sponsoring this event. It's a third rendition of it. Um, and this particular event uses some really, really great methods to develop the relationships and trust necessary to really get vulnerable in these areas um, and, and break down some misconceptions and, and some things that people fear through it. So, you know, we don't approach diversity and inclusion like exactly the same as other school sectors because we have a common belief in the authority of scripture, uh, the saving grace of mercy of a just God. But mm -hmm. we also yes. understand that there's a right and wrong. Uh, and we also understand that we're being sanctified every minute of every day. And so we can be encouraged in this journey um, and, and taking it along with one another. Wow, that's that sounds awesome. What are the, what are the dates again that you said? Um, that would be April twenty sixth to the twenty eighth in Dallas, Texas. You can just hop on CISAschools.org and you'll be able to see that. Yep, uh, that's in Plano, Texas at Preston and Christian Academy. Well, that's uh, fantastic. And you mentioned uh, millennials and Gen Z, and we are finding we are finding that um, parents in the millennial demographic want to send their kids, whether they're Christian or independent school or public school, they want to send their kids to diverse schools. And that's right. a big mm -hmm. priority for them. And so mm -hmm. many of our Christian schools relate to that party um, and not necessarily counter to having diversity in the schools, but they have, as you said, these histories that uh, are uh, had run counter to diversity. And so they're working right. through that. Uh, what would you say to schools who are looking at state voucher systems, accountability programs, to use those as levers to bring diversity to their schools? Yeah, I think they, they definitely can be. Um, again, each state is so different uh, in the strings that they attach um, and, and all of the process that it needs to go with. So I think um, first, I would say you just need a you need good lawyers. Um, you need good people um, that can work through uh, what the implications of of these things are, because sometimes they can come with some unintended uh, unintended consequences. So, um, not all of our schools take vouchers or um, tax tax money that is available to them for just those reasons. Uh, but certainly, I think um, being able to increase the socioeconomic diversity with the use of these is a big deal. Here in Georgia, the Georgia Goal Program is incredible. Um, and it has really allowed um, all of the CESA schools here, we've got nine, to be able to increase their socioeconomic diversity. Now that doesn't, that's not always tied to uh, racial or ethnic diversity, of course. So um, yeah, I don't think that we can think that it is a, you know, a catch-all to do that. And I don't think that that's the strategy that we want to take, um, is to have all of our diverse constituents um, be on massive scholarships that can create some real difficult um, positions uh, and, and social situations for, for kids in our school. So I think we need to be strategic about recruiting uh, and, and, you know, recruiting, of course, not uh, in a, you know, law-breaking athletics mm -hmm. way, but uh, <laughs> the way that we're getting the message out and going to find our, um, our students in this really super dense competitive market uh, so that we have, um, you know, that we reflect a good socioeconomic uh, spectrum as well as uh, racial and ethnic. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I just want to close. You, you're so knowledgeable. You mentioned Super Bosses by Sidney Finkelstein. Part of the book that I'm writing uses him. Uh, interestingly, uh, my framework on authentic professional growth 
for faculty. We use uh, Finkelstein in there. What other books are you reading that you think school leaders, particularly Christian school leaders, should be reading? Yeah, that, that list is going to be super diverse again. Um, my reading list certainly is. I'm listening to a, a, well, I'm not listening. I'm reading a book called You're Not Listening. Um, and it's a fantastic book about um, how we miss so much in conversation because we are not disciplined enough to really listen uh, and what the implications that has for our own professional practices as well as our um, our institutions and maybe even our marriages and our relationships <laughs> to children, all of those things as well. Just a generally helpful book. Um, I would say uh, Jimmy Smith's book, On the Road with Augustine, is a fantastic book. Um, it's a beautiful book uh, that just helps us understand our own restless hearts uh, and how wow. we can um, find our peace uh, in, in what the Lord's plan is for us. So I think that's a, that's a really great book. I'm trying to think. I'm looking at my books over here. What else am I reading? Oh, I, loved, um, I love anything by Chip and Dan Heath. And so The Power of Moments, uh, if you haven't read that. That would be a, a really important one for you to think about in terms of the experiences that you're having. Again, we talk about millennials and Gen Z. They want the experiences, those Instagrammable mm-hmm. moments. Um, and so we need to be thinking about that um, in big ways. Um, what else am I reading? Oh, um, another one I'm reading is uh, Ben Sass's book, Them, uh, Them um, uh, Why We Hate Each Other. Uh, and so that's a fantastic book again. <laughs> thinking about, you know, on our campuses because we are increasingly diverse uh, and we do need to understand each other uh, and some of the things that he suggests could be built into our own communities uh, as more and more parents are looking for our schools to be the hub of their lives rather than their church or their neighborhood. Wow, that's great. Well, thank you so much. I think we're about ready to wrap up. Monroe, you have anything for the good of the order? Man, I'm just taking notes here. It's also good. You know, I guess the only thing I would say, not necessarily a soundbite, but for those school leaders out there that just need an encouraging word, who are in the trenches to just stay in the fight, you see the 30,000 foot view, I think, that they don't get to see. I do. Yeah. I do. You know, and that's, you're you're spot on. Um, People often ask me what I like most about my job, and it's just that. You know, I I get the day-to-day. I'm I'm married to a head of school. Like, there are punches coming from everywhere um, every day, Uh, and and I understand that. Uh, I get to go out, and I get to see the larger body of work that God's doing, and man, is it encouraging. Um, People are doing creative, impactful, beautiful work um, across this country and world, and so if we can remember um, that it's a new day tomorrow uh, and that we are equipped uh, to be able to do this and that when we are, when we are in the word, then we, when we have our theology right, we are going to be able to walk through that fire um, with fewer bruises <laughs> than, than if we're not. So I would just, I would really just encourage um, you know, school leaders to, be in conversation with other like-minded Christian school leaders um, who can encourage one another, pray for one another, um, give advice when need be. But, um, you know, it's a good fight uh, and it's, it's, it's worth every one of the bruises. Absolutely. Wonderful. Good work. Wonderful. Hey, what a great chat. Well, thank you yeah. so much for CISA and the great work you do for Christian yeah. schools. Thank you so much. It's fun. I appreciate the work that you guys are doing and you know where to find me if you need anything else. Fantastic. You guys. Have thank a great you. day. You too. Bye. If you thought today's episode was enlightening, please pass the word. The Classroom and Culture Show can be heard on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, to become a regular listener and receive additional info, please subscribe on your favorite platform today. That's Classroom and Culture from Epic Media Partners. Thanks. Thanks.